two reasons that song was selected this morning. First, seemed like a good follow-up to our Wednesday night uh, discussion about the Mormons and their denial of that glorious truth that Jesus Christ existed before the foundations of the world, their denial of his divinity as well in the sense that we think of him as being one of the Trinity, but also because as we end the passage that we're going to read this morning, Jesus is alone. And that song always has a a way of reminding us rejected and alone. And that's where we find Jesus by the time the passage of this morning is finished. We're in Mark chapter 14. I'm going to be reading from uh, Mark verses 43 through 52 this morning. And then uh, some of you perhaps picked up uh, the extra sheet that was out by the bulletins and sermon outlines. And then I'm going to read from that as well this morning. So first of all, Mark 14, the way that Mark, through the Holy Spirit, relays to us the betrayal and arrest of Jesus. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priest and the scribes and elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I kiss is the man. Seize him. Lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching. And you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. They all left him and fled. The young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. As far as the reading of God's word from Mark's gospel in the 14th chapter, But if you see, most of you probably have a footnote at that point that says, directs you to the fact that this betrayal and the rest of Jesus actually is found in all four Gospels. But all four Gospels report some things similarly, but some things they include that others don't. So I tried to put that together, okay, as far as if you take this section... And put it together, if you take all four gospel accounts, what do you hear? Particularly, I'm thinking, I was thinking of, what does Jesus say? So you might go back and say, well, you left out this action or that action. Well, that wasn't the focus of what I was looking at when I put it together. It was more, what are the words that Jesus speaks at this betrayal and at his arrest? So I'll I'll try to indicate simply the book and not get into all the chapters and verses as as I read it. 
So from Matthew, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal to them. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him, Luke 22. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Matthew 26. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. John 18. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Luke 22, when Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? John 18, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Melchus, Luke 22. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. John 18, so Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Matthew 26, then Jesus said to him, put your sword back in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled, that it must be so? Mark 14, and Jesus said to them, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Luke 22, when I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour, the power of darkness. Matthew 26, but all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Mark 14. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. This morning we look at the words of Jesus at his arrest. First of all, the words spoken to the betrayer. Secondly, the words to the soldiers. Thirdly, the words to the disciples. And lastly, the words to the leaders. As we think about the words that are now spoken to the betrayer, the words spoken to the one that we know as Judas Iscariot, first of all, we have to think of the act of Judas. He arranges with those who have come to arrest Jesus a sign. Why was that necessary? Well, it is dark. They have the light of torches, but that does not permeate fully the darkness, does it? 
Sometimes we see things or think we see things in the dark. It's hard for us to actually tell sometimes, even by a campfire perhaps where you've sat. And who is that moving over there? It's hard to tell. So given the darkness of the night, given the group, we're, we're really not just encountering one man, are we? We're countering at least the rest of the disciples, so there's going to be at least 11 gathered there, but if we take into consideration where we were last Lord's Day as we came to the Mount of Olives and the Garden of Gethsemane, there might be many folks who are actually staying there, pilgrims who are there for the Passover. So anticipating the fact that there might be hundreds of people that they're going to be encountering, including the disciples, including the darkness, Judas arranges with these men who have come to arrest Jesus a signal, the one I kiss. It's interesting, though, that the word that is used in Greek here is not the normal word to define the typical greeting. I think we're all aware in the Middle East it is customary that when you greet someone that you do indeed kiss them on the cheek. That's the way you exchange greetings. Okay, um, Men to men, women to women. This is what you do. This is how it happens. Okay, rather than necessarily the handshake, there is the embrace and there is the kiss upon the cheek. But the word that is used here is unique. It's a, it's a word that emphasizes the fact that the kiss was not short. It was prolonged. It wasn't just the customary little brush upon the cheek with the lips. He stays there for a period of time. As if to signal to these men, look, this isn't just somebody I'm greeting. This isn't just somebody I'm coming across. This is him. This is him. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to hold this embrace, and I'm going to hold my lips to his cheek for a prolonged period of time. Yet one has to step back and think about this extended kiss then of Judas. That which should have represented an even deeper relationship. Yet notice Judas once again just as he did in the upper room, addresses Jesus not as Lord. Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? That's what we hear from the mouths of the other disciples. But what do we hear from Judas? Rabbi? Is it I? Here he is in the garden once again. Not as Lord. Rabbi. Rabbi. And now I betray you the prolonged kiss so that there will be no doubt who it is that is to be arrested. And then Jesus' words, do what you came for, friend. Friend. Jesus lying? 
This is the graciousness of Christ. What would you say to Judas? Imagine you're in this situation. You know what he's up to. You know what's going on. You know what's happening. You know he's the betrayer. You know what he has come to do. What would you say to Judas? Probably there would be terms that Pastor Bob should not use, right? How would you scold him? How would you rake him up one side and down the other? How would you belittle him? How would you make him feel so small? That anger is coming out. Not in little bits, but in chunks and chunks, in wheelbarrows full, in dump trucks full. Jesus says, friend, he does not lie. The truth of God is in him. This is a gracious call yet. Even though I know what you're going to do, Judas, I know what the plan is. Judas, friend, it is still His gracious call. Our God is mercy. Jesus had said in Matthew chapter 5, 41, love your enemies. Yeah, right. Sure, sure. Let's see how that works out at your arrest, Jesus. You want to know how love your enemies works out at the arrest of Jesus? Here it is, friend. All the compassion, all the grace, all the mercy. Friend. But it's not only gracious, it's penetrating, isn't it? Friend, do what you came to do. Think about it, Judas. You really, you really want to do this? This really the way you want things to end up? It's such a short statement, and yet... There's so much there. There is the grace, but there is also that penetrating judgment, searching the heart, knowing the mind, knowing the acts, knowing why it is that Judas has come. what you came to do. And then there is an exchange that takes place between Jesus and the soldiers. It begins with a question. It begins, you notice, in, in that section from John chapter 18. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them. In other words, the kiss has taken place. 
Judas has identified him, but nobody's moving. Nobody's coming forward. Jesus now steps out to them. Who is it that you are looking for? Now, Jesus is not asking the question because he doesn't know, right? He is asking the question to hear their reply. Who is it you're looking for? Jesus has asked this question of his disciples in a certain way, hasn't he? On the road a few weeks before this. Who do you say the Son of Man is? Now, it's the soldiers, this crowd, this mob. Who do you say that I am? But the question is, who are you looking for? Who are you looking for? What an interesting question. Oh, we're looking for the Christ. We're looking for a Savior. We're looking for the Lord. No, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Notice Jesus' response. I am he. Gospel of John, it's interesting because John's the only one who records this in this exchange. But it's John who has also recorded these statements of Jesus. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the vine. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. And what's the response? What happens? The soldiers, at the word of Jesus, at the declaration of Jesus, at those words, I am he, what does John tell us happen? They drew back and fell to the ground. These soldiers, some of which are temple guards, some appear to be Roman soldiers, trained, hardened. The man they've come to arrest is simply standing there, no weapon in his hand. Simply his authoritative declaration, I am he, and they step back and fall to the ground. Well, this isn't because of Jesus' presence. After all, they came to arrest him. This is because of his declaration. I am he. I am Yahweh. I am God. See, these are the same words that proceeded out of the burning bush. I am who I am. And what does Moses do? Draws back, falls to the ground. Because he's in the presence of God. See, even here at his arrest, in all the humanity that we see, we see that glorious divinity as well. 
not absent. It's not now covered over. Oh, no. It is on full display. I am he. And then do you notice the instruction? What does he say? Let these men go. You notice what happens? They let them go. Did, did you catch that when we sang, Christ shall have dominion? When I read from Psalm 72, that's what the psalmist said. That the king guards his people. That the king keeps his people. What does John remind us? This is what scripture declared. That he would lose none of those who had been given to him. All that were given to him. All that were his. Christ guards, Christ keeps, Christ protects. He can even say, as the one being arrested, let these men go. And not a single solitary one of them is arrested. Not one. Because the Christ has spoken. The King, the Lord of all, the one who is beyond all kingdoms, the one who is beyond all time, the one who is behind, beyond all creation, has declared, let them go. What an amazing display of Christ's humanity, and of his divinity at the same time in that instruction. He was in charge. The authority of his word as the Son of God. See, nothing's going to happen without Jesus letting it happen. Nothing is out of control. Nothing is in chaos. Nothing is in turmoil. Jesus is fully, completely in charge of the entire situation and circumstances. From that which will transpire in the next hours of his life, Jesus is in control. Don't lose that. Don't, don't misunderstand that. And he's still in control. The scripture is still true. He will not lose one of those that the Father has given to him. Not one for whom he shed his blood has the Father allowed to be lost because the Son guards, protects, and keeps. Thirdly, words that are spoken to the disciples, in particular to Peter. Even though the guards have fallen back, fell down, Peter, for 
his part thinks that's not enough. Oh, how often it is that we are not content to rely upon the Lord. We always think we've got to interject ourselves. Reaches out the little sword that he has, which I remind you, he had informed Jesus of in the upper room, and Jesus said, it's enough. Jesus fully aware of that which is going to happen. He's fully aware that Peter's going to step out once again. And now Peter takes action, cutting off the ear of the high priest servant, a fellow by the name of Malchus. He was a fisherman, by the way, not a swordsman. No more. No more. Takes the ear that either is hanging or dangling or has fallen to the ground, puts it back on the, the servant, this Melchus, and heals him. No more of that. Put it away. Put it away. Put that sword away. Put that physical instrument away. Well, there will be a time to use a sword. Just never a physical one. Ne just never a sharpened piece of steel. That is never, that is never the tool of the church. It is the sword of the word of God. Oh, Ephesians chapter 6, put on the whole armor of God. That's right, the sword, the sword, the sword of truth. This is what arms you as the believer. This is what arms us as the church, not that physical instrument. Put it away. And that put it away was a declaration not just to Peter. It was a declaration to the church of Jesus Christ for all time. Put it away. The church never responds with violence. This is never the means. Relying upon the sword means we are not relying upon the Lord. Do you not know that I could call 12 legions of angels? A legion is 6,000 Roman soldiers. Put that thing away. Put that physical instrument of violence away. Do you not know? Do you not know that he could call 72,000 angels to come to their aid? They've got a mob. They don't even have 6,000 soldiers there. Got a few temple guards. Probably a small squadron of Roman soldiers. Could overwhelm them. Do you not know? 
Oh no, I must respond to this violence with violence. Do you not know? Oh, but there's violence going on now. Do you not know? That the one who has declared that I am he can call forth legions of angels. Do you think they not exist anymore? Do you think they're not round? Do you not know that you are guarded each and every day by the angels of God? There are no near misses, my friends. There are only protections. There are no lucky breaks. There are only angels directing. Do you not know? Well, Peter would find this out one night, wouldn't he, sitting in that prison. The angel of the Lord comes and opens up the door. Or an angel, not the angel, sorry. An angel comes and opens up the door. He'd learn. When I am afraid, David said, I will trust in you. Why? Do you not know I can call 12 legions of angels? Are you again, Peter, trying to divert me from the cup? Peter's pretty good at that, right? I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer and die. No, no, I'm never going to let that happen. Still doesn't quite get it. Jesus has to remind him, remember the cup? Yeah, you probably heard me praying about that a few minutes ago, didn't you? Remember what I prayed, Peter? Not my will, but thy will be done. Do you think I've not come to do my Father's will? Do you think I've not come to fulfill that cup? I must be about my Father's business. Don't try to take me from it, Peter. Don't try to intervene. Let me do that which I have come to do. And then there follow words to the leaders. Words that are meant to prick consciences. Words that are meant to have them think deeply about that which they are about to do. Why the weapons? Why, why did you bring weapons? What did you think you needed weapons for? What was the point of that? But did you hear what Jesus said? Do you think that I am a... What word did he use? Do you think that I am a robber? Do you know what Jesus is thinking about? He's thinking about that which is going to transpire in a few hours. There are going to be two robbers, two thieves, one on either side of him. Those who will declare, 
or at least one of them will declare, we receive our punishment justly. Do you think I'm a robber? Do you think I'm going to be, do you think that I'm like those two thieves that you're going to crucify me before, between? Do you think that's what I am? You have, have you come with weapons because you think of me as an ordinary criminal? What about it, leaders? Is that who you think I am? Interestingly, the soldiers' response was, you're Jesus of Nazareth. At least they had an understanding of something about Jesus. These leaders, just a common thief. Is that all I am? See, it's that probing question again. Who do you think I am? Why now? Why do you come to me now? I sat at the temple. I was right there. You had temple guards. Right there. I, I've been at the temple almost every day this week. I've taught there many times. Why did you not arrest me then? Well, he knows why. Because they're afraid of the crowds. They have to do this all under the cover of darkness. Hence his next words. But this is your dark hour. You have to take the action you do under the cover of darkness. You do not dare to do what you are doing in the light, to be seen by men. Men love their evil deeds. And so they use the cover of darkness to cover over that which they do. That's what these men are doing. That which they will are afraid to do in the light. They are unafraid to do in the darkness. Ah, oh, this is your evil hour. This is that hour of darkness. This is the hour where Satan has grabbed hold of your heart, of your mind, and of your soul. You are so cold. Even your conscience is not being pricked. You have no guilt. You have no remorse. You're not even doing this fairly. You're not even doing this justly. You're going to do what you're going to do in the next several hours illegally, and you have no conscience. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. What are those scriptures? What does he mean by that? But let the scripture be fulfilled. Joseph looks at his brothers. Says what you meant for evil. God meant for good. The account that we have before us in the Gospel of Mark, most commentators agree, is probably the narrative of Peter. It's probably that which Peter has spoken to 
John Mark, and now Mark has recorded and written. It is this Peter, you see, who has said, or will say in Acts chapter 2, the following. i make sure I find the right note. Acts 2, starting at verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. That scripture. That scripture needs to be fulfilled. That scripture for which they are indeed responsible, but yet falls within the plan and purposes of God. This is your hour. This is the dark time. But this is so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. They all left. They all fled. Alone. But that aloneness at that moment as they come and seize him and lead him off like a common thief, rejected, despised, that aloneness is but the tip of the iceberg. Because the aloneness is only going to intensify and grow until from that cross the man of sorrows cries out, My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? He's alone. And he thought of me. He thought of you. Father, thank you. We hear again in the Gospels the words of Jesus, powerful, purposeful, graceful, penetrating. Words Words that signify rejection. Words of torment. And he thought of us. He thought of us. The 
man of sorrows, what a name for that Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. All we can say is, hallelujah, what a Savior. In Christ's name, God's people say,